little boy was in Bible study, and he was just with his mom on their own that day, and uh, she went on to church, and he was in, you know, kids' church and Bible study uh, that the church offered, much like our church. And uh, when they got in the car, his name was Johnny. She said, Johnny, what did uh, they teach about in kids' church today? And she's and he uh, looked at his mom and he said, you know, Moses, Moses, you know, Moses, Moses and the uh, Red Sea. And that was all Johnny said. You ever, you ever had any little boys in your house? You know how they can just tell you that much and that's it. And that was it. So she drives along for a little bit and she said, well, what did the, uh, what did the, the children's pastor say about, about Moses and the Red Sea? Well... Oh, it's a, it's a great story, Mom. It really was. Moses was this liberator. He was going to get God's people free. And he met with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, no way, man. These Egyptians are cheap. These Israelites are cheap labor. I ain't letting them go. And so Moses calls out the SWAT team. And the SWAT team takes their machine guns and they just shoot a bunch of the Egyptians and the Egyptians fall into the Nile River and it turned it red. And frogs started crawling up because they didn't want to be in the blood and gnats started coming out of that mess and there was all kinds of bugs and stuff going on and and they, they poisoned, Moses had them poison the drinking water of the cattle and the livestock and they drank that water and they died And then they were all laying around stinking and just making a mess and all this death was around. And then there were boils because there was so much disease around. The people started getting boils on their skin. And then, Mom, there was a storm. And in this storm, it was dark. And an alien mothership came down on the earth. And this alien mothership took all the firstborn male children and took them on the ship and it disappeared and then they were all gone. And then, Mom, Pharaoh met with Moses again. And he said, get them out of here. Get them out of here. You are too much trouble. And so they left. But then Pharaoh got mad, changed his mind, and he went after them because they were such cheap labor. So he started chasing them. And the Israelites got stuck at the Red Sea and they couldn't cross. And then Moses saw that the Egyptians were coming in the rear and they were going to kill them or take them back as slaves again to serve them. And Moses called out the SWAT team again. And Moses had them get their fire extinguished, their, their flamethrowers, and they got behind the Israelites and they start shooting fire and smoke everywhere. And then he called out the National Guard. And the National Guard came and they took sections of bridge and they started placing it over the river until all the Israelites could cross. Well, Mom, they were still shooting at those flamethrowers and the smoke was still going crazy and they couldn't see. And those crazy Egyptians, they wanted to catch them so bad, they started coming out on 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 the temporary bridge and they took the links out of the ones that were in the middle. They were already over and they took the links out and those crazy Egyptians through the fire and the smoke, they drove right into the Red Sea and they all drowned, Mom. Mom's eyes are like this. Her jaws open and she said, did that children's pastor really say all that? No, but if you'd have heard it the way he told it, 
you wouldn't have believed a single word. That's the way church is today too, guys. Church is like that. Let me tell you why church is like that. Church is like that because people have all kinds of thoughts about what we do here and who we are and why we're here and what we, what we do. The Bible tells us of several things that are reasons and what we do as a church. And those are very biblical. One of our jobs here in the Church of Jesus Christ is that we are about these things. And that's what God's called us to do. But if you ask a man on the street, if you did an interview out there, you'd get all kinds of answers. If you asked 100 people, you might have 100 answers about what is church. But let me share with you some things that are church. These are some biblical answers of what church is all about. And I'm going to just give you five because I think they're the main five. But I'm going to give you these five. And the important thing for me to mention to you this morning is that there's many more than this. You could come up with many more, at least 10 or 12, that are really assignments of the church of Jesus Christ. But there's no doubt we experience salvation. The Holy Spirit is living in the church. He is what has, uh, has indwelt us, and we are his representatives in the world, and we share the gospel message of Jesus dying and being resurrected, that he was a sinless and sainless son of God, and he died in our place, and he rose again, and we share that message. It's different from all the messages of all religions of the world. He's alive, isn't he? And we serve a living Christ. Salvation happens here. We experience salvation. Two, we also experience sanctification. God's called us to be better, to grow. And he's sanctifying us. And the Bible says in the book of John, chapter 17, Jesus says that we're sanctified. One of the primary ways is not just through trial and error and growing in the Lord and learning how to follow him, but to grow in his word. Amen. And then he tells us that we encounter support at the church. Have you found that to be true? That this is a place that you can find love, that you can find friendships, that you can find classes, you can have needs met, and uh, the Lord uses each of us to do just that, to give support. Fourth, it's a place where you can encounter service. You heard a testimony today of somebody that's brand new to our church that one of the reasons they came here is opportunity to serve. I want to hear everybody say that. I came to the Oaks because I want to serve. Listen, if a church doesn't have that going on for it, if we have parts of the body because we're all parts of the body as children of God, if we don't have all the church serving, we are handicapped. And God didn't intend for his church to be handicapped. We're all called to be servants of God Most High and serve him through his church. Listen, there's exposure for opportunities for service. And then last of all, I'm just going to mention this one. You can name several more. But these are the five primary that I'm, it's my message, okay? I'm preaching this one, so I'm giving you these five. You could come up with 10 or 12 easy. Uh, But we experience spiritual guidance for our individual lives and our family through the ministry of the church, don't we? Well, I want you to look with me biblically at why the church exists, what it's about. Jesus told us that it was his incredible, his powerful church. And I want to tell you something, we are conditioned in our culture because of many things going on that you may have an opinion about church that's different from that. But it is his powerful, incredible church. And you're a part of it. 
I, I want to tell you something. I've been a pastor now for about 36, 7 years, and I, want to, I can just tell you this, that I've been a, a lead pastor, senior pastor uh, person, and before that I was in youth ministry for a couple of years. So I'm, I'm coming up on almost 40 years in ministry. And I want to tell you something. I, to this day, don't feel worthy. I, to this day, am so thankful. I, to this day, am so appreciative of the calling on my life to serve him as a pastor and preach his message of the gospel and to lead his church in kingdom building. And I want to tell you something. We should all, all be thankful that God spoke to you, he brought you, drawed him to yourself, to himself, and then gave you a place in his church. It is something incredible. It really is. You're part of the most powerful organization on planet earth. You really, really are. It's important that you see the church for what it is. It's something that is so very powerful. Let me share with you what Jesus shared because that I, they're, they're just better than my words. How about that? Let me just put it that way. Number one, Jesus established the church on the most firm of foundations. Let's go to the passage again and look at what it says. He says, I tell you that you are Peter. This is after he's made a profession. What did, what did he say? He said... What do you, who do you say that I am? And God, through his son Jesus, says what? You had God reveal this to you. This, isn't, this didn't come to you by your own reasoning ability. God has revealed this to you. God is speaking through you today, and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I want to tell you something that ought to excite every single person in this room And listen, if you haven't named Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and come into a relationship with God through His Son, that needs to happen for you today on this 128th celebration, this back-to-church celebration we're having today. Before there's lunch and all the things we're going to share together today, you need to have a time where you invite Jesus Christ, God's Son, into your life and make Him your Lord and Savior. Happened for me 43 years ago. I, I... just tell you this with all that's in me. There's nothing greater on planet earth than knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. On this foundation, here's what Jesus said. He said to Peter, you are Peter. Simon, you are, and in the Greek text, it's really important because there is an interpretation of this passage that was propagated by the Roman Catholic Church for for eons, for centuries, and I want to take that on and challenge that today because a simple reading of the Greek text shows that that's not what was being said. I've had people discuss this chapter with me, and they'd say, yeah, see there, Peter is the pope of, he's the first successor of Christ. And I'm like, no, that's not what it says. What it says is, in the Greek text, to Peter, Jesus says to Simon, he says, you are Petros. You're a little pebble. You're a little bitty rock. Literally in the Greek, that's what it means. You are Petros. You are a little bitty pebble. You're a gravel that's in my shoe and bugging my foot, you know. You are a little little piece of the rock. And then he says, and upon what you said, Peter, upon what you said, the Petra, the big boulder of rock, the mountain of rock, I will build my church. That's the testimony here. It's not on a person. It's on the 
message. And the message is the message of Christ. If you want to say it's a person, then you better say it's Jesus, right? That's the truth, and that's what sets men free. And that's what's being stated here, that it is the Petra, the mountain of rock, that I will build my church. I'll build it upon this foundational truth, upon this statement. And that's what's being said here. You see, the church is built upon a rock. It's built on a mountain of rock. And literally, Petra means a large boulder or a mountain of rock. And I want to share with you that the wordplay that's going on here is, Peter, you are the instrument, the human instrumentation that this divine rec- rec- uh, this uh, divine uh, time of speaking for God, you got to be that voice. You said you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon you, Petros, little rock, Upon you, this small rock that will be a place in time and a person to serve, but upon this foundational truth that Jesus is the rock. He's this boulder. He's a mountain of rock. Much like the city of Petra in the the Middle East, there on the border where we have this uh, entire mountain that is rock that is much of what jesus is stating maybe it was even in their minds with that word language in that day but upon this truth i will build my church i want you to see something he does tell us that it is whose church because i I hear us do this all the time i'm guilty of it i'll say my church well i haven't bled much for it i have sweat But I didn't die for it, that's for sure. I'm still here. Jesus Christ, it's his church, isn't it? It's Jesus' incredible, powerful church. You get to be a part of it. That's the really good news. And I know what you mean when you say my church or our church. We we say that commonly. But Jesus uses that expression here, and he adds this personal pronoun to it, And he talks about in the Greek text, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the gathered ones, the ones that are in fellowship with me. That's what he's talking about. My personal pronoun, possessive pronoun, my church. That's what he says. It's his, isn't it? He will rebuild the temple in three days, he said in John chapter 2, verse 19. The church has also been equipped, equipped with a flawless fact. I want you to see this down in verse 18. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, the profession of this mountain of truth, what? Petra, the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, that he is the Christ. Upon that truth, I will build my church. And then look at this. Jesus says he will build his church. Now I want to say something to all of our staff, to all of our deacons, and to all the people that are involved in any kind of leadership here at the church. We don't have to grow and come up with just great ideas to grow the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus has already promised he will grow his church. Now the problem we see in our culture is the church continues to advance all over the globe. In Europe, much to the chagrin of many of us, we've seen massive decline in the church of Jesus Christ in Europe. It continues to go down. Uh, We had people like Francis Schaeffer in the 70s say, hey, America, U.S., 
the U.S. church, wake up. If you go the same route we have, you're going to experience decline in the church of Jesus Christ. Guess what's happening? We've got pockets of many church uh, denominations and groups that are declining. They're declining in who's attending, who's involved, who's being saved, so forth. But here's the good news about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he, if the church is not doing what it should to be obedient to him, he just, he just moves things around by his spirit and he creates growth. And here's one of the things that's really cool. We live in a city where there are many, in a day of, in a day of Christian decline, we have many growing churches in the DFW, and I want to be one of them. Don't you? I want to be one of those churches that God's just, he's, he's going against the grain and what's going on in our culture, and there are many churches in our area that are beating that. Why? Because here's what we have to do to be seeing Jesus grow his church. We have to get out of the way ourselves, stay in, be involved, do what God says he will honor and he will bless, and he will grow his church. He has a track record in the Bible of principles that he builds churches on. That's what I need to lead the church to do. That's what our staff need to, we need to follow. That's what our deacons and all of our leaders, our LC, everybody, we need to follow that biblical plan because God has said he'll honor that. Jesus already said, I will build my church. There are pockets all over the United States. There's a great new church growth movement of new church plants. There are many churches. Every year we're having about 30 more mega churches emerge in the United States. Isn't that amazing? Those are churches that are running at least 1,500 in attendance. There's over 30 more of them every year in the United States. So God is doing that. He's birthing all these new churches, and, and he's doing work where he's, he's building his church, and it's growing 30 more a year in the United States. There's been some years there's been over 50 new churches that would fit into that category. God is doing incredible things all over the globe. Africa, if it continues to come to Christ at the rate that it is right now, they tell us that by 2000 and about 30, 35, 40 at the latest, the entire continent will come to Christ. Isn't that amazing? They tell us about the work in South America. We've got churches. We now have churches that run into the uh, not just the tens of thousands, but we have churches that are running into the hundred and two hundred thousands. Last year, I got to meet a pastor from India that it's the fastest growing church in the world. It's in a Muslim-dominated zone of the world, and they are running 244,000 at that time a week in their services. They just have a great big giant tent. They didn't even build a church building. The church is only seven years old. That's pretty rapid growth, isn't it? And he just talks about how they're sharing the gospel and Muslims are coming away from that. Listen, God is, he's on record. I will build my church, period. The church of Jesus Christ is going forward. It is doing things unlike it's ever done before. When that video said that there's more people coming to Christ and that there's over, did you see the 300,000 churches in the United States? That's a bunch. Did you see the list for worldwide now? Did you see, anybody remember what it said up there? Over 5 million 
five million churches in the world. I want to tell you something. It's, it's important for us to remember that. Jesus is the sole owner, but he's also the head, the CEO, the coach, the manager, the boss, and he's the one that said that he will grow his church. There is participation that we get to do in the growth. Listen to this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I planted the seed, Apollo watered, but who made it grow? God made it grow. God is the grower. Jesus is the grower of the church, isn't he? The Spirit of God growing the church. Listen to this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Because we get to be participants in this growth in his kingdom. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. As each part, listen to this part, as each part does its work. The church when it's fully functional and everybody that's part of the church is serving because that's the role we all have is 100% participation, 100% service that we are serving, God grows his church. The church has been empowered with this fantastic force. Listen to this. He says, I will build my church, and then he says these words, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Did you hear that? What gates are there? What was the identified group? Who, whose gates are they? Here's, here's a, a, a struggle. If you have been in a church that has declined, you have been preconditioned to accept something that's not true. Let me challenge this. If you have been in a church or a couple of churches that have experienced decline, here's something that you have been preconditioned to accept. There's a lot of people in the United States church that have this concept of what we're doing now is because of all the cultural shifts, because we've lost this biblical foundation we had as a nation, our Christian and Judeo ethics and values. We have this image of the church. Here we are with the gates, and we've got the gates of the church, and we're here, and we're holding the gates, and the gates are getting pushed back by Satan and his demonic forces, and we have this false image that the church is going backward. That's a lie out of a pit of hell. The church of Jesus Christ, you need to reread the passage. It's not hanging on until Jesus comes and rescues us, and we hope the rapture, rapture happens soon, right? That's not what's being taught in this passage. What the passage is teaching is at the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not prevail against the church. The church is not on defense today. The church is on offense, and it always has been. The church is advancing, and the one that's holding the gates is who? The gates represent, and when you have gates, what do they represent? It, it zones off territory, right? This is mine. Don't come any further. And, you know, us looking around at houses, we've been looking at a lot of houses. You know why? Because we plan on buying one, staying with you. So we kind of hope you, 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 you like us a little bit. We, we, we can work together for a long time. So we're, we're digging in. We're looking at house, we've been looking at a lot of houses. And we've been looking at houses. Your, your pastor's got stress. See, in Ohio, you had a little more land mass with your house. 
I got here, I'm like, where's the yard? That's not a yard. And I kept looking around and looking around, and so your pastor's been looking. Uh, Kim has got things she's looking for inside the house. But let me tell you what your pastor's looking for. I'm looking for corner lots, and I'm looking for cul-de-sac lots. You know why? Because one of the things that's required of a pastor is they practice the gift of hospitality. You're getting an invite already. Did you hear that? I'll have you over. And Kim will have you over. Well, just so happens we bid on a house on Friday. They accepted our offer. And if everything works out all right, see, this is Kim's birthday's tomorrow. So I bought her a house for her birthday. <laughs> it's still got to go through inspection and all, you know, all these little steps we're doing. And we'll, we'll see where we are in a few days. But uh, it's, it's a corner lot. And it's got a yard with green stuff in it that looks like real grass. And it, it is a corner lot with about 12 or 15 parking places. Boom. That made me happy right there. Those parking places are for you and they're for people that don't know Jesus yet that live in my neighborhood that I want to invite to Bible studies and I want to reach out to them and be hospitable to them. And we'll have leadership meetings and we'll have whatever. But our home is not our home. Our home is always the Lord's home, and we are just stewards of it. That's the way we look at it. But I got, I got my corner lot. Yes! <laughs> what does that have to do with my message? Absolutely nothing. It's a dramatic pause is what that is, all right? But I'll, now i got to pay for it. You know that part, right? you got to pay for it. You know, the, the bank really owns it. We, we're working on it. Uh, gates are for what? What? It's for marking territory. It's for what else? It's for what else? It's, it's for security, right? What else? What else are gates for? What else are gates for? They're to keep things in and to keep things out, right? And that, I mean, and listen, we've been looking at, we've been looking at lots of houses. Some days we looked at 10 of them. Last couple of Saturdays, that's what we did. Almost all the houses around here have, have fences, don't they? And a gate. And when you buy a house, you should make sure your lawnmower can fit, fit through it. That's just an inside joke to a few of you, all right? My kids, my kids and Kim bought me a riding mower a few years ago. So I've been looking for a yard big enough to just, I brought it with me. When I tried to cut the grass at our rental house, I cut the front yard, I opened the gate, and I went, oh, no. Got the two front wheels in, blade wouldn't fit, back wheels wouldn't fit. So I, I saw the neighbor getting his grass cut by somebody. I said, how much you charge? I said, just to do the back. No, no. But see, back to the subject at hand. I'm getting off task. And we've got a party to go to, don't we, church? Here, let me leave this with you. Here's, the, here's something that's incredible. The Bible tells us that those are the gates of hell. And what? here's the picture of the church. Really? Jesus advances. The church advances. 
the gates of hell are on the other side being pushed back, pushed back, pushed back until the last person that needs to come to Jesus Christ is saved and then it's over and we go home. That's the truth. The church is advancing. I will build my church. It's true today just like it was when Jesus said it. It hasn't changed. Jesus' church will advance. The kingdom of God will advance. And my goodness, people, we're a part of that. You are a part of that. We're hungry to see the Lord do more right here at the Oaks. There's dreams that were dreamt years ago for this property. We need to see some of those come true or need, we need to dream new dreams. One of the things I have deeply on my heart is I believe, and I'm going to go ahead and spill some stuff, I believe with all my heart, since we are in Grand Prairie and we have, we have the ethnic mix that we do of people, our church is not reflective of our community. I want a Hispanic worship service that's part of the Oaks. I want that as your pastor. I believe God is leading us to do just that, that that's an added thing to our church, that there is a Hispanic worship service. And I got so many other things that I want to pour out of my heart. And I, some of these things I haven't talked to the LC about, I haven't talked to the staff about. They know about some of them. It's right here in my heart. God wants us to more effectively reach our community and look like the community. We've just got to do what we have to do, and some of it may be uncomfortable at times, church. But that is big on my heart. I want to see that rolling next year. I want to see that as part of our church, that there is a Hispanic service, not because we want to separate anybody, but we just want to offer that as another thing. I also want to see our staff become more diverse like that. I want to see us to have more faces. Listen, you got a white guy as pastor, right? I'm, I'm just as Caucasian as they come. But it would be great to add staff that have some other backgrounds so that we say when people walk in, they're like, there's somebody like me leading. We've got to make some changes to see these things happen, but God's calling us. I really believe God's calling us to do it. Walk with me this next year. I, I got more stuff, but I'm not going to tell it all today, okay? Because I'm preaching this message, so let me just share this. I want to close with something that's really awesome. The church enjoys a fabulous function. What's our function? I want you to take the keys that you have in your purse, and I've noticed lots of purses at my house because my three daughters are home. You know, Keila got home, and our other two daughters are here. And I want you to fumble around your purse there because I know that you might have a pocket where they are located. That's what my wife uh, usually has hers, but we guys usually just have them in our, in our front pocket. Take your keys out, and I want you just to jingle them a little bit because God tells us something in this passage. He says, I am giving you the keys to the kingdom. You get to be a participant of inviting people to Jesus Christ, being his witness, carrying the keys, the way in for people of the kingdom of God. Let me tell you this, I'm going to wrap up because I, I get this, we got stuff coming. We got more stuff. Let me tell you this. Robert Forrest is a deacon at First Baptist Church, Woodstock, Georgia. Woodstock, Georgia, Johnny Hunt's the pastor for 25, 30 years. Great mission church, evangelistic church. Johnny Hunt can preach like wildfire. I mean, he's just awesome. 
And the church has a 7,000-seat sanctuary, and they have two services. They run ten or 12,000 people every week, just doing a great job. And it used to run 400 when he became the pastor. Long time ago. Ron Forrest is a deacon in that church. He went home to his house and has a police background. He goes in his house, and there he finds a young man holding his television in the living room and many components from uh, speakers and parts of his his, uh, surround sound system in his living room. And he's got him in his arms, and he catches him dead to right. Now, because, because of his background, he tackles that young man. So I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to do something like that. But his house has been broken into, and the, the young man's still in his stuff. He tackles that young man, subdues him, and then says, sit on the couch. Give me your wallet. So now the young man thinks that he's getting robbed himself. So he, Ron gets his wallet. He sees that his name is Dwight on his license. He takes his phone out takes a picture of his license, and he throws it back in his lap. He said, young man, it's God's grace that I'm the one that caught you because I'm giving you two options today. Here they are. One, I'm going to call 911. They're going to be here. They're going to take you to jail, and you probably are going to have a sentence, and you're going you're to be in jail. That's, how you're, that's the next step of your life. Number two, you can go to me, with me, to church this next Sunday. This was Friday. I'll pick you up. I got your address. If you skip out on me, I call the police. And I may change my locks and stuff before then. Depends on your answer. Will you go to church with me? Four Sundays in a row. And if you go to church those four Sundays, I drop all of this. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Guess what happened? He, Dwight, went to church with him the first Sunday. Went to church, went out to lunch with him. That was that. Went home. He called him a time or two, didn't answer his phone. Second week, he picks him up, goes to his house, picks up Dwight, takes him to church again. This time, Johnny Hunt was preaching a more evangelistic message about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He hears that message, God warms his heart, the Spirit of God draws him, and Dwight, who was a robber ten days before, gives his heart to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and then Ron Forrest starts discipling him, and they baptize him and see him follow Christ. And I want to tell you something, I had a phenomenal experience five years ago. I am looking for a youth pastor five years ago at our church in Ohio, And I come across a resume that has the name Dwight on it. And guess who it was? It was that young man, it was that very young man that had surrendered to youth ministry and had just finished his college degree and was going to seminary and was open to even move if he had to because he could do most of it online. But he ended up going to a church in North Carolina. We didn't work out, but I got to talk to him. And here's what was amazing. He wasn't for me in our church. But I got to see that story play out where he's in youth ministry at a church in North Carolina. And isn't that an amazing thing? That God, his church, the message, it's so powerful. 
God is on his throne. His church is advancing. Satan is backing up. The gates of hell are backing up, backing up, and you are part of that church. I'm done. I'm done. We'll tell you something. Isn't that something? You are part of that. That's what you belong to. Don't think of the church any other way. It's so very powerful because it's God's. And today we celebrate 128. You know, God's been working around here a long time. A lot of churches don't get to be 128 years old. And we're now into 129. Let's bow our heads. Father, if there's somebody here that needs to give themselves to Jesus, help them to do so. If there's someone here that needs to crown Christ Lord, maybe today's a day of coming back to church, coming back to you. We pray that that would happen for them. We have so many emphases of back to school. Today's back to church on day 128 for our church, 128 years. Father, you want to do work in somebody's heart right here through these seats right now. I know it. You are working in their heart. You're stirring them. Help them to respond, to reconnect with you, to come and repent of their sin. And Lord, get back in the game. And Father, I pray that you would just move in that way. If somebody needs Jesus, please help them to come and let us talk to them and get them started today on following Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We ask this in Christ's name.